Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and friends. And I have a very long-term friend on the show today. And we're going to have a conversation that's probably the last thing that you would ever expect a Valentine episode to be. And that is intentional. Um, Because the thing is, is I've recorded dozens of Valentine's Day specials with all kinds of tips and tricks and ideas and inspiration. But the reality is, is that Valentine's Day is a really painful holiday for the majority of people. It's estimated when you look at adult numbers, it's estimated that over 50% of people are not partnered. And so we can't ignore the reality that for some people, Valentine's Day is just like ripping off the scab and pouring salt in the wound. But Joey Papa is, again, long-term friend of mine. His story is one that so speaks to my heart about our our first love, about our relationship with God. So I'm just going to give you two warnings before we dive into this conversation with Joey. Number one, um, this is probably going to be a more graphic conversation than maybe you're accustomed to hearing. And if I'm like the most hardcore thing you listen to, you probably are going to have your feathers ruffled a little bit. If I'm certainly not the most hardcore you listen thing that you listen to, then you're probably going to be fine. But I just want to mm-hmm. forewarn people up front in case they you know want to tap on the brakes or whatever, because I've asked Joey not to edit, not to candy coat, but to just be honest and real about his journey, because I think that there are so many wonderful life lessons that we can extract from what he has learned about himself and sexuality and God and relationships. And then the second thing that I want to let you know is that this may sound as if we are totally veering off the path of sexual confidence, but I disagree because our sexual confidence often is derived from the stories that we have lived, from the life that we have experienced. And sometimes hearing other people's stories who've experienced things that maybe we haven't or have only fantasized about experiencing, or maybe it was our worst nightmare come true or something along those lines. And then to hear that they came out on the other side, I think that that builds sexual confidence vicariously. So know that the purpose of this episode is to certainly encourage people that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've experienced, no matter how badly you have failed in this relationship or that relationship, there is still love for you by humanity as a whole, uh, by the people who listen to this podcast, and certainly by God. So Joey, Papa, would you please explain to people how we know each other and how you started out your early adult years on this journey called sexuality? Yeah, well, first of all, it's great to be here. I count it as an honor, so thank you. Um, Yeah, we met during my late teenage, early 20s at a ministry that we both worked at um, and just kind of stayed in touch throughout the years. But my journey with sexuality started uh, probably around nine or 10 years old um, when everything was prepubescent and getting started. Um, And I found that as I went through those years, um, there was a combination of things going on. One was I was attracted to both genders, which was a surprise to me. Um, And two, I was raised in purity culture, which if people aren't familiar with that, um, in essence, just what, how I internalized it was anything sexual is sin and is wrong. It needs to be avoided at all costs. 
Um, and I really took that to heart as a young kid and then definitely into my teenage years. Um, and so throughout that time, there was a lot of confusion, a lot of self-hatred, a lot of depression, suicidal ideation. Um, that young, even before you were a teenager, you yep. thought of taking your own life because of the anxieties that you felt about just your own sexual interests or your, it, it probably wasn't, I mean, it, not saying that it wasn't sexual, but it was probably more relational in that season of just who do I connect with? Who, who do I like? Who likes me? Who do I send the note to that says, I like you? Do you like me? Yes or no. So just confusion yep. around that caused that much depression in you. Yeah. I, so I was always into girls, like since I was really little, like, you know, preschool, you're like, oh, this person's my girlfriend or whatever. But as I got into junior high years, that was still very much it. I dreamt of kissing a girl's hand, holding a girl's hand, buying her flowers, all of that stuff. But the mixture of purity culture, my own leanings, um, and on top of that, during junior high, I also was bullied uh, quite significantly. Um, and I had been in Christian school since I was in third grade. So I had really close friends, both guys and girls as a kid, uh, having sleepovers, all that traditional stuff, riding bikes, being a boy. Um, and then in junior high, I still to this day do not understand why or what happened. These were my friends. So these were people I trusted, again, played with, had sleepovers, all of that. And it just started becoming a trend in my class to bully Joey. And of course, the wonderful uh, thing that they chose to bully me about was that I was a girl or I was a fag or I didn't belong with them or, you know, doing things with them. I used to get shoved out of the locker room after gym class um, while we were changing and they would say, you're a girl, you can't be in here. And they would push me out. So that was so painful and humiliating. And the feeling of having someone as a kid, first of all, you're sort of innocent still at that stage. Um, and to have those people that you saw as your friends turn against you and really go out of their way to make your life a living hell um, was extremely painful. So there was a lot yeah. swirling around in my little brain. And I can't imagine how anxious and insecure that made you feel that you didn't have a true place of belonging. If you didn't belong in the men's locker room, but you didn't belong in the women's locker room, where did you belong? I'm sure that just a whirlwind of identity uh, issues yeah. and questions in your head. That's exactly right. That's uh, the amount of anxiety that I had of going to school every day. Um, the amount of confusion, I of course blamed myself. You know what I mean? I think most people and or kids do like when something happens, we blame ourselves. And I did think I was defective. I did think I am not a man, but I also knew I wasn't a woman and I wanted to be a man. I never dealt with any of that stuff. You know, I always wanted to be a man. And like I said, my dream was to meet a girl, kiss a girl, love on a girl, ask her to marry me and all that. So I, I held on to that desire that just stayed with me, but I was so confused, very, very confused and internalized it all because I knew instinctively that bringing any of this up was not going to be well received by my, le my leadership in my youth group or my parents or anyone else that I looked up to as an adult. So now you also had the added burden feeling isolated and alone. Yes, 100%. And rejection, rejection really got a hold of me during that time. And I think that's where a lot of the self-loathing, self-hatred, I used to 
burn pictures of myself, cut them up. Like I just, I had a disdain for who I was because who I was, was not good enough and was not wanted by the guys in my class at the time. Well, that is so sad for me to hear and, and a little surprising because when I met you, when you were, was it 18 or 19? Yeah. Yeah. You were just like the epitome of charisma. Like you were a people magnet. You were elevated to leadership by your peers and the staff. You actually wound up staying with this ministry long enough to become a staff member. You were talented in, I remember you doing drama, right? You were very active involved in the touring and the dramas and all that. And I just remember thinking, wow, that Joey Papa, he like is on top of his game. He's got the world by the tail. But what I also remember about you too, is that the times that we had, you know, like verbal exchanges in the hallway or whatever, I knew that you were most likely one of those guys that's somewhat in touch with his effeminate side, because it was so comfortable for me to talk to you. Like you could have just as easily been one of my girlfriends as you were big man on campus in my eyes. Mm -hmm. So I just find it very interesting that some people from the outside looking in thought that you were just like the cat's meow and the cream of the crop and, and just, you know, the cherry on top and all that. But you had opposite feelings about yourself. Yeah, it definitely produced some benefits to it going through that dark time. It is where I met God. I always tell people I met God before I learned about God, you know, so when I was really depressed and um, suicidal, all that, even as an, an older child, and then into my teenage years, he was my everything. Like I ran to him, he comforted me, he loved me, he healed me in certain ways and gave me like confidence to forgive people even then even though all these concepts i didn't understand what they were per se you know now i can articulate them a lot more but that's where my love and dedication and passion for god originated was during those really dark times um and then it also just gave me so much empathy like i think some people when they experience severe rejection or um humans being very unkind to them, they can become very bitter and hard-hearted and close down and build up tons of walls. I did have walls, that's for sure. And a lot of insecurities. But the one benefit that did come from that was I was always drawn to people who were brokenhearted. I was always drawn to people who felt misunderstood because I myself did. And I always had a drive in me. I, I believe this since I was so small, that God would use whatever happens in my life to help other people, like for his purpose. And that has proven to be true. I would never have projected that I would have gone through as much as I have. Um, But I believe consistently that all of these events that have happened over my 43 years of life, I now have an incredible ability to comfort, to understand, um, to empathize with people that if I didn't go through that stuff, it would have been, I would have been limited in my ability to do it to the level that I am able to now. Right. And I want you to take this opportunity to tell folks about this amazing new podcast that you started last year and what the response to it has been. Because I've been just so thrilled for you that you have found your voice and that you're inspiring people the way that you are. Yeah. So I I started a podcast last September called The Failed Christian. It's kind of a play on words. Um, I know a lot of people from the outside would just see that and think, oh, this is a podcast about someone who's left the Christian faith 
and it definitely is not. The whole premise of it is is that the ideal image that was taught to me uh, growing up in the church and in Christian culture, one is unattainable, and two, I put I took that on myself, and I have had so many failings in my life, major failures, and the irony was when I had those major failures, I was never met by condemnation or judgment from God. I was always met with an immense amount of kindness and gentleness and compassion, which would cause me to fall apart inside and in essence, fall in love with God all over again. And so the podcast centers around it. it, The tagline is conversations with messed up people working out their faith. And so we kind of talk about off color topics that are typically shunned by the church or just not really well received in church culture. Um, and yeah, not safe. Exactly. And we go full force into them and talk about them. And I always like to tell people it's not a theological podcast. It's a relational podcast. I'm not a theologian. I haven't studied, you know, in school to get my PhD in biblical studies or something. Um, it is conversational and really the whole, my heart behind it is that people can find a safe place that, um, they are able to feel like they're not alone and, um, they can find solace for, I call it for the wandering soul. Mm, I love that. I still love that. And the response, I I want you to be sure and mention that because I took time to look at some of the reviews and some of the comments and yeah, that's warm your heart, my friend. Yes. The response, especially people who reach out to me, um, whether leaving a review or direct message me has been overwhelming like people saying i have never listened to a christian podcast before but when i found this one you know i felt right at home other people are telling me they're crying through the episodes because these are questions that have been on their heart for years since they were a child and they have never found a safe place where they're being addressed talked about considered um and so that's been really great to see um there's obviously a segment of people that the podcast is not for, you know, and I actually really don't hear from those people and that's totally fine. I know I have a lane and I'm going to stay in that lane. That's it. Yeah. And and I have to confess, I'm a little jealous that you carved out your lane so much later in life that it was easy for you to, well, I won't say easy. I know that you've worked really hard, but to get in that lane and be able to stay in that lane. Whereas those of us who started out in an ultra conservative lane, it's hard to switch lanes sometimes. So good for you for letting your life gel for really coming to understand who you are and what your voice, what you wanted your voice to represent. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about what precipitated your idea for the failed Christian, because I know those years right before that podcast idea were really rough and rocky for you. Yep. Oh, for sure. So I, aside from the bullying, when I was a kid, I never really experienced anything traumatizing, I would say. I mean, that was traumatizing for me, but there wasn't ever any like abuse of any sort or sudden death in my family. Um, But the last few years of my life, in my adult life, there has been quite a bit going on. So I um, have five children. My fourth child was born with a medical condition that went undiagnosed. Um, She was extremely medically fragile. And so she lived for three and a half years. And then passed away at three three years old. But during those three and a half years, it was constant fight or flight. She was so fragile. I mean, calling 911 became common. Rushing to the ER became common. I mean, I felt like she was on death's door 
25 times and she was on my watch. I became her primary caretaker and I was working full time at the same time. So um, her life and her death was very traumatic um, for myself and my marriage and my family. Um, after her death, uh, we've, we've had quite a few financial ups and downs as well. So that's another stressor that I think is like a constant in those years. Um, but also at the same time, my wife, uh, about two years after my daughter died, um, she decided that she didn't want to be married anymore. And if you can peer into my little kid heart of what I just explained to you of really always desiring to have a wife and to have someone I could love, um, and be romantic within that way. Um, her decision to leave me sent me into a severe depression, um, very similar to what I experienced when I was 10 years old, but this time I was an adult and there, I had four other children. Um, and it, it became too much for me to bear. I became suicidal, actively suicidal. Um, and eventually my friends found me after a series of events where I was, attempting to drink myself to death. And I did pass out um, and they found me and I got hospitalized for that. Um, and then right after starting to recover from that, my wife and I at this time are separated. So we're not living in the same house. I'm going through all this craziness. And then my son gets diagnosed with leukemia at the age of 12. No. Yeah. And one month after that, COVID hit. And so it was like, really one thing after another. And COVID was significant for me because I'm a freelancer. I'm a video producer by trade. And so I had, I was living really comfortable to, you know, as far as my work went, it was really doing well. Well, COVID, every single shoot I had was canceled. So I literally went from having an income to no income felt like overnight. So there's another stressor added there. And then in the midst of all that, my wife decides that she wants to move to Florida. So she moves, I'm still living where we were living. And that became very problematic uh, for my children. And even for me, because it, you know, it's hard to have four kids and half of them are in Florida, half of them are with you. Um, and up until this point, we had a stable family life. So now all of a sudden it feels like everything has fallen apart. Um, I eventually moved to Florida so that our family could be together and then ensued incredible anguish of loneliness. Um, I had a very strong community in Charleston where I was living at the time. And so to leave them and then to move to Florida where I knew no one was unbearable for me. And um, yeah, so I was living in pain. I still do live in that pain to a degree, um, but I have established myself a little more here. But um, so yeah, and then during that time of that loneliness, um, because of these curiosities and desires and yearnings um, for a romantic connection with a man. Um, again, I had only ever been with my wife. I had never slept with anyone. I was a virgin when I got married, you know, the whole gamut. Obviously was always faithful in my marriage. Um, so I, I was in so much life until it really hit the skids. And then yeah. all that old repressed curiosity stuff, I'm sure yeah. came to the surface. And then add on top of that, the pain of my divorce and feeling so um, rejected, not only rejected, but almost like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I don't know. Ostracized? I, I, ostracized, yes, um, but also 
like when someone turns against you, when they go a different way, um, I don't know, taken advantage of something along those lines. So through all of, all of that, I, I was in so much pain. I had be, I had started to associate, or I still do probably to this day, women with being unsafe, dangerous and all of that. So that compounded already all of these feelings and emotions. So I ended up downloading an app and hooked up with a bunch of guys for about six weeks, which um, really sent me into a crazy tailspin mentally. And what did you learn about yourself and sexuality and God during those six weeks? Oh, good question. What I learned about <laughs> my sexuality is that I had been very suppressed, not just with men, but with women as well. Um, for example, it just hit me the other day that I never flirted my entire life with anyone because it was so ingrained in me that anything sexual, quote unquote, was a sin. So even when I was in college, like if a girl started, I, I liked a girl or she started liking me, I got so awkward and weird and would put a line in the sand. Like if I'm ever interested in you, I'll let you know or blah, blah, blah. Like, I, and so it hit me the other day, like, damn, I never even flirted. You never learned the mm -hmm. I never learned anything. It's like everything was avoided. And is my assumption correct that in your courtship, it was kind of like a, is God calling the two of us together? And so it was like, you just let the spiritual bonds replace the flirting and chemistry and the bantering and the building of trust with each other. But then when it came time that your relationship got rocky, the whole idea of, but God put us together. It just adds so many layers of shame and feelings of rejection and feelings of failure. I'm sure that you felt like, a big failure when your marriage did not work out and then the pendulum swung hard and you probably felt like an even bigger failure. Am I putting word? I mean, I, we've talked enough that I think I know your heart on yeah. this. So. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that idea that God brought us together. Um, I held on to that into the day that she said she wanted a divorce. And then that all came crashing down. Like that whole thing shattered, which was very devastating for me because it was so built into who I was as a married man, who we were as a married couple, my purpose in life, all of that. So yeah, it, that idea was, it, it was very difficult to reconcile with that after everything was said and done. Um, but I also learned, so about my sexuality, I learned that I'm suppressed. I learned that I am genuinely bisexual. Like, I mean, whether people believe that that's the way that God intends people to live or not, that's irrelevant to the conversation. It just is what it is in my life. Um, and yeah, I just, I had so much shame around how much I did not know and how much I have not experienced because even in our marriage, I was taught that missionary style is the only way to have sex. And I never let that go. And I mean, we eventually worked through that to a degree, but I still felt shame and guilt when we didn't do missionary style because that's what was ingrained in my subconscious from such an early age. You were bound up from those ultra conservative teachings that really messed a lot of people up. I, I want to go into that a little bit, but I want to rewind the tape and just interject something. For those of you who heard the word bisexuality come out of Joey's mouth, 
in a very comfortable manner, as if this is something he accepts about himself. Let me just tell you the philosophy that I have developed over the past multiple years of working with people. When it comes to sexuality, sexual orientation, gender perception, all those things, each of us get one vote and one vote only. And that is for ourselves. That is for our own gender perception, our own sexual orientation, what we know about ourselves, what our fantasy template is, all of that stuff. We do not get a vote about what is true about someone else. Only the individual can discern what is right and true about them. And so please know that I hold no judgment against you for accepting this part of yourself. And I would urge anyone else who is feeling the need to judge that mm, you, you might want to revisit what the Bible says about that. Not trying to hit that. That, that sounds really judgmental to say, I'm going to hit you over the head with the Bible for being judgmental, doesn't it? <laughs> I just, I want to see us in this era of post-culture war, because let's be real, we lost the war. Christians lost the culture war. You know, we, we just did. We have to move on and learn to accept and affirm and celebrate people for who they are, because I believe that that's God's stance toward them. But you tell me, you tell me, Joey Papa, when you accepted the reality that I am attracted to both men and women, and I perceive myself to be bisexual, did God's stance toward you, did his favor toward you, did it change or waver in the least little bit? Uh, not not at all. I would say, and I think I've shared it with this with you before, is that when I was acting out and, you know, hooking up with guys for those six weeks, I have never in my life experienced the tangible compassion and grace of God. It, it blew my mind. It's what gave me the idea for the podcast, because what was always told to me is that when you screw up, you will be met with judgment. And when God I did this tribe. Yes. And when I did screw up majorly, it was oh the way I would put it in a visual is almost like Jesus was with me through it all, like all of it, even in the act, and all yeah, I could feel. Hmm? What'd you say? He didn't have to turn his back. No, not at all. And what I felt was like so much compassion. I felt his heart breaking, but not in the way of judgment, breaking like I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. And, you know, I'm here with you. Like, I, I understand why you're doing what you're doing. Like, I could feel him empathizing with my pain and why I was acting out the way that I was to the point. So, so much so that at the end of those six weeks, when I stopped all that behavior, I was flooded with God's grace and love and forgiveness it made me fall in love with him all over again. And I was flabbergasted. I mean, and that's how the idea for the podcast came about. I was driving in my car, thinking about how crazy God's grace is. And I just, it came out of my mouth. I am such a failed Christian. I have failed at this Christian thing so well, you know, and, and but yet God still loves me. And I have known his his love and his acceptance in a way I never have before. Now, does that mean we go out and intentionally sin just so we can know God's grace and love? Of course not. I mean, Paul says that. But the point is, is that when we do, and especially when it comes from a place of pain and heartbrokenness and whatever, God is not turning his back on us. He's not forsaking us. He's not leaving us. He's not standing there judging us. He is in compassion and kindness 
waiting for his kindness to get in us enough that we go, what the heck am I doing? And come to our senses. Yeah, that I don't need to go here for love and attention and acceptance. I have it better over here with God and having him guide my path. When I think back on my own years of promiscuity and just one sexual partner after another for a five year span of time, not just six weeks, more like five years. I just look at that and I go, I had no idea why I was doing what I was doing until about a decade later, because teenagers don't have the ability for metacognition, the ability to think about how you think. I didn't know it was about my daddy issues. I didn't know that I was just starving for love. But God did. God knows why we do things far better than we know ourselves. And the idea that he would reject us because we're acting out in pain is so antithetical to who I was taught God is. So when you describe his unconditional love and the flooding of grace in your spirit and all that, that is directly in line with who I was taught God was. And it breaks my heart how many people have never been taught that about God's nature? All they've been taught is the these and the dows, the, the Ten Commandments, the do's and the don'ts. And I can only imagine how marginalized from a spiritual faith they themselves feel. So, Joey, what advice do you have for people? I meant to give a, a, a warning at the very beginning, but maybe it was a God thing. That it, maybe that was a sock that he put in my mouth and said, mm, don't need to, you don't need to say that till the end. But I was going to say, for those of you who don't necessarily subscribe to a spiritual paradigm, I'm going to forewarn you that we are going to talk openly about God and Jesus and spiritual things. But what do you have to say to those individuals that, okay, we're having this conversation about God, but they didn't have that foundation laid in their lives of God loves you no matter what. His mercies are new every morning, every afternoon, every evening, every hour, every minute, every second that you need it. God's mercies are there. Um, that His grace is sufficient. How do you, how do you inspire people to let God love them, and to allow themselves to consider falling in love with Him? Because when you and I talk about being in love with the same person and having an intimate relationship with Christ and that probably sits on some people's ears as really freaking weird. <laughs> yeah. Take well, it from there. Yeah. Um, honestly, I just, I'm a firm believer that God is in pursuit of us more than we're ever in pursuit of him. And sometimes it just takes a moment of willingness to consider that maybe God is here with me and I just have not recognized him or seen him in this moment. And so I always tell people it's not complicated. There's no formula. It really is just an open and a willing heart to say, I think you're real. I need you. Please show yourself to me. I need, I need help in this moment. I need grace to come upon my life. And for people who were raised in Christian culture, it's sometimes it's really hard. I think it's harder for people who have been indoctrinated because the God that was created for them is very different than God, who he is. And again, this is all throughout scripture. I became very comfortable with all of my failing when I started going through the list, especially in the Old Testament of people who really screwed it up. You know, it's like you could find any character and they made some pretty <laughs> enormous, you know, decisions that in our day and age would never be invited to be a deacon in the church. Do you know what I mean? It's like, so. Right. And aren't you grateful that those shortcomings and failings are so there 
that yes. we can't say that God uses the perfect mighty stretch of the imagination. I know, man. It's like, I think of Noah. Noah has, all, we always think about the ark, but he got drunk after he was done with the, the flood. And then his, you know, got all naked in front of his kids. They had to cover him up because of shame. Like, I mean, David's obviously an obvious example of, you know, in essence, I've raping had, a woman. Well, I've had the, I won't say argument, but I've had the heated debate with people about the declaration that God made that David was a man after God's own heart of whether that was before the Bathsheba thing or after. My understanding is that it was after. This was not a, David is a, is a man after my own heart until he slept with Uriah's wife. Like it, There is no until. There is no, yeah, you just undid that storyline. You've just disqualified yourself. There's no such thing as a disqualified Christian. And the season of my life that I had to really internalize that was when I went through my divorce seven years ago. And so many people wanted to say, you know, well, you'll be disqualified from ministry. And to that, I say, you know what? You were wrong. I appreciate the intent to like try to keep me in the fold, so to speak. But hmm. sometimes divorce is a gift that you give each other in hopes that you can have redemption and fulfillment in a different path. I'll just put it that way, because I think that whether it's betrayal or financial stress or grief or, or, you know, just total difference of wiring or understandings or opinions or whatever the case may be, I just don't think that being divorced disqualifies people for people from ministry, especially in light of the fact that two-thirds of adults will experience at least one divorce, if not multiple, in their lifetime. Mm. We've got to stop with this narrative that, oh, well, only cisgendered, heteronormative, monogamous, faithful, married for 50 years. Like, these are the only people who can hold the title of spiritual leader. Mm. I just think that God uses anybody and everybody. I love the story of Brennan Manning in his book, All His Grace, mm. that he was a raging drunk. I, I'm not talking about just a little bit alcoholic. He was a yep. raging drunk, but God used him like crazy. So um, back to the topic of sexual confidence, because that's the reason that people tune in to this podcast. How do you think that this experience with divorce and the struggles that you had in your first marriage, and then with your pendulum swing, for lack of a better expression, of just your season of, of um, letting those repressed sexual energies come to the surface and seeing where it lead, where it would lead you, uh, this season of realizing that you're a failure at this being a perfect Christian thing, but it doesn't lessen your Christian faith. That if anything, mm -hmm. it, it I just so love that prodigal son story. It's so in line with that moral. Yeah. What do you think the impact will be long-term on your sexual confidence as a result of all these combined painful experiences? Oh man, it has revolutionized my sexual identity and confidence. I think um, this conversation could not have happened a year ago. I, I had so much shame, confusion, suppression, all of that. I wouldn't have been able to even get it out of my mouth that I even had a desire to be with a man, never mind, come on here and say that I did do that. Um, and so I feel so much more at peace with myself. I feel like now 
with other people in my life, including friendships, or if I do ever get into a romantic relationship, I can be very clear. I'm very clear now. I feel way more confident and I understand myself. The funny thing is I understand that little boy in me that I think was ignored for most of my adult life. I understand him so much better now than I ever did. And so I can cater to him. I can comfort him. And I would think that a partner who has still a lot of repressed feelings and a lot of anxiety about ever taking off their mask and being real about those things, being honest with themselves and, and with other people, I would think that that makes for a very dangerous partner. Don't mm -hmm. you? Yeah. I think you don't, like, if you don't know yourself, how can the other person really know you? Exactly. But someone who has walked that path of peeking behind those doors and opening that Pandora's box and trying to figure out what's true about themselves and what's not true about themselves. I feel as if that person is a lot more trustworthy in a relationship. But Joey, the thing that I love most, most, most about your journey is where it has landed you with God. I'm really not worried about your relational future because I have always known you to be just such like if I had been 10 years younger and single, you know, like you were just a tall, dark, handsome, clever, fun, holy, just there were, there was nothing negative that I could have ever said about Joey Papa. So I'm so not worried about your relational future, but when I had heard about some of the things that you went through, my, my only concern about you was, I hope he has not let go of his faith in God. And then when we had our first conversation, when you interviewed me on your podcast, I was, I was elated. I was doing triple backflips at how this has landed you in the best place with God that you've ever been in your entire life, even though the roads that you've traveled these past few years have been the most painful. Um, it's true that sometimes the most painful things are really what brings us to our knees at the foot of the cross and helps us to receive that unconditional love and grace and mercy, because otherwise, What's the point of living? What's yeah. what? How can we go on without that security of knowing who you are in Christ? So again, this may have been more of a spiritual conversation than you were expected. And maybe it was more unconventional of a conversation than you expected. But Joey, I just think that there, there are times that I feel as if I need to open up this uh, podcast dialogue to be more inclusive for this very reason is because we are living in a day and age where if, if as Christians, we don't learn to have these conversations comfortably with our peers, with our children, with our grandchildren, the church is going to die. The church is already labeled by these younger generations as just a big group of judgmental, prejudiced, yep. bigoted, homophobic, and they have to realize that that's not true about every church and it's certainly not true about every Christian. Mm -hmm. And so thank you for just your vulnerability in just verbalizing what probably a lot of people have struggled with, but have just never had the courage to be that real and that honest. Anything yeah. else that you want to share with our listeners that would lead to their sexual or spiritual confidence for that matter? Well, I would just leave um, <laughs> you with that. The thing that I, when I boil it all down, the thing that I felt like being raised in Christian culture taught me was to be dishonest, that there was a certain line in which you could not cross. Um, cause I did come out to my parents when I was 14, 
um, told them that I was attracted to both genders. And I did that multiple times throughout my life. And every single time, whether in one word or another, the response was that just can't be true. So it may, it was a, it was a response of denial and pressure to make believe that this wasn't real. And so through my life falling apart, the thing that I have the highest value for now is to be honest. And I always encourage my listeners and your listeners, getting brutally honest with yourself is the first step. Then talking to a trusted friend or someone that you love and loves you about those things is another step. But getting brutally honest, you will always be met with God's grace when you're honest. You know, you you when we deny and we suppress and we try to make believe everything is not what it is, that's where we get into anxiety, depression, you know, overwhelm, all those negative emotions. But God loves our honesty. Um, and so that's my encouragement is just to be brutally honest with yourself and others. Mm. It's interesting. My first impression of you was that you were someone who was very in touch with both your masculine and feminine side. And it grieves me to hear how many people said that can't be true. Let me mm -hmm. tell you why I think it can totally be true. And then we'll wrap up. I have to step on a soapbox for just a, a tiny second here. <laughs> God himself is both masculine and feminine. Mm -hmm. We were created in the image of God, both male and female. And the word El Shaddai, which is a, what God was often called in the Old Testament, actually means many breasted one. That that is where many are nurtured, and um, you know that's a that's that's ascribed to the feminine, the whole mm -hmm. breastfeeding concept. But the idea that people have to be either masculine or feminine, and never the two shall meet in the middle, we've just got to throw that out. I loved you from the start because of how comfortable I was with you. If you had been one of these uber macho guys, like was so common around East Texas, I probably would have had my guard way up because those were the type of men that I was sexually abused by. But you were just so comfortable to be around. And I think that if you continue to just be honest about who you are and how much God loves you, you're going to be amazed at the quality of person that you attract into your life because you deserve that. You deserve mm -hmm. to be happy because you're just, you radiate positivity. You radiate love. You radiate compassion. You radiate empathy. You just keep being you, my friend. And I'm sorry for the pain that others have caused you with just not understanding who you are, but I celebrate you today. And I thank you so much for being willing to do a Valentine's Day episode, which again, is probably totally opposite of what people expected to, a Valentine's episode to be. But at the end of the day, the fact that God loves us and that we have the opportunity to love him back, that's the greatest Valentine's story I could ever encourage you to grab hold of and run with and apply to your life. So Thanks yes. so much for tuning in to this episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap. We love you for listening. And we thank you for <laughs> tapping on us.